This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com. Of course, On The Grid is powered by theracetalk.com, which is a great place to go and get all the... uh, the inside stories of what's happening in the world of motorsport here in Australia. We'll catch up, speaking of the theracetalk.com, with Richard Crail very, very shortly to preview what promises to be an exceptional opening to the 2019 Virgin Australian Supercar Series. And I'll tell you what was an exceptional opening was the start of the World Superbikes at Phillip Island last weekend. Braxy's going to wrap that up for us as well. Plenty to come right here on the grid, powered by theracetalk.com. <laughs> massive weekend as always in the city of Adelaide and you wouldn't want to speak to anyone else but the Mayor of South Australia, <laughs> Richard Crowell is his name, as you know and he joins us now. Crowellsy, how are you buddy? Yeah, good. Uh, it, it's a good time of year, isn't it? Um, well, I'm not sure. It's going to be over 40 degrees every night. I don't know if that's no, a good it's time of year. Far, it's, it's summer. What do you expect in Australia? It's it's going to be hot. I'd rather it be hot than torrentially flooding and cancelled yeah, like it was couple of years ago look it's great uh, what a what a good time of year and uh, you know I'm as parochial as they come you know yes, that. I do. Uh, however I, it, it's hard to find anyone who can argue with the fact that this isn't the absolute best place to start the year officially start the year of course we've had the 12 hour and that's a brilliant event and a great way to roll into it but in some ways that feels like tapping off the previous year as it does starting the new one so if you can show me someone who thinks we should start the season somewhere else, I'd be pretty surprised. And to start it with 90-odd thousand people there on Sunday, massive concerts, one of the best street circuits in the world, um, a clean sheet of paper for everyone to go out and go to battle once again over the next 11 months or so, uh, it's just the best place to start the racing season formally. And, yeah, it, it, it just brings as much anticipation for me as as going to Bathurst in October does. It's a very, very cool race. It certainly is. And we've spoken about this numerous times before between ourselves and our journalist friends. And the only other place you would start the season is you'd start at a Bathurst if you were going to have a summer season. Do the Daytona well, yeah. 500 trick as NASCAR do. Yeah, exactly right. And, and that certainly hasn't stopped the Daytona 500 being one of the biggest races in the world. But, you know, I, I just think this works so well. It's a motorsport man city. It's got such a great heritage. The circuit is one of the most historic on the calendar. And, and that's remarkable given it's a straight circuit. But yeah. they've been racing there for 35 years now. So it, it's got great history. It's got great tradition. Um, and, and 21 years into the Adelaide 500 now that they're – it just continues to build and grow. And, you know, they're staring down the barrel of a, a general admission ticket sellout for Sunday. And the, the haters all hate and they'll say, oh, it's only because there's a big concert on. But it's an event. It's more than just a motor race. It's an event. But I don't care if there's the world's biggest band playing. If if there's 90,000 people going to a supercar race, then that's more than we'll go to a supercar race at any other racetrack for the remainder of this year. And yeah pretty much any other event they'll ever go to. So I don't think that matters. I, I think it's just an amazing place to start the season. And and most of all, it's an enormous challenge. This is a race that is prized on the calendar, probably second only to Bathurst now. And it's one of the hardest to win. It's brutal on the drivers. It's tough on the cars. 
Um, and it, it means an enormous amount to have success on the Adelaide Parkland circuit. So for mine, it ticks all the boxes. Yeah, no doubt about it. You mentioned 35 years of uh, racing at the Adelaide Parkland circuit, and uh, there's been some changes over time. There's been some more changes in the last couple of days as well with uh, turn six and seven being modified to try and stop cars from extending the track limits. Also, the uh, the runoff area, Turn 9, said to be closed off as well. Uh, good move or bad move? Uh, no, good. There, there was those, those track limit penalties are ridiculous sometimes, aren't they? And you just go, oh, for crying out loud, either let them race or put a concrete wall there and they're not going to take – liberties with the track limits are they well that's what they've done my thought on the whole thing is if it's black you're allowed on it aren't you well no because there's a boundary of the racetrack so there's a point which is which is fenced isn't it well no but there's a generally a yellow or a white line that has the boundary of the racetrack Mm, and and the corner yeah the corner that they're talking about is turn seven uh which is the right hand corner that brings them onto the peter brock straight which is Bartels Road for 360 days of the year. Um, and and drivers were using that exit curve, driving basically straight ahead over the top of it. Shane Van Gisbergen. And really, yeah, correct. And really opening up the exit of that corner, which, of course, gives you more momentum onto the racetrack. Now, the rules say that you could only put so much of the car over that curb, and that's what that big inquiry with Van Gisbergen was, is that – he was accused, I suppose is the right word, of putting too much of his mm. car over. In the end, he was cleared and wasn't penalised. So, But it just gets rid of the one percenters. It gets rid of those dodgy 50-50 decisions that only 50% of the fan base are going to agree with because the other half will think they've been robbed. So if if it removes those grey areas in the rules, then that's I'm all for that. That's great. And that way I can just let them go race. There's no question mark over the track limit stuff. And it goes back to that that old adage that for all these modern, wonderful racetracks we've got in the world now, they've all got 400 miles of runoff um, and concrete on the back of ripple strips and stuff. Would drivers in the 1970s have used all of that racetrack when it was going to be a gravel trap or a fence? The answer is no, they wouldn't have because you'd have a crash. Mm. So I'm all for them just manoeuvring this. I haven't seen the runoff area at turn nine and what they've changed there. Um, that's a pretty high-speed approach. So whether it's a uh, a corner exit thing or something about that, I'm not sure down on uh, Fullerton Road there. But, um, yeah, six and seven, I'm fine with that because they've been taking liberties with those curves for a while. 25 cars running in Porsche Carrera Cup on the weekend, uh, 20 Super 2 cars, 23 Touring Car Master cars, 13 cars for Super Utes, plenty of others as well. It's going to be a damn good support category. Yeah, it's a good program, isn't it? I, I, I still wish, and and this is a polarising category, but I still wish the jumpy trucks were there. Like the other, in twenty fifteen, the Adelaide five hundred basically discovered those cars. Yes, you're right there. Oh yeah, so could you hear that? Yeah. Oh, I turned my microphones off. Oh right. Uh, no, sorry. I could. Yeah, that's why. Oh, oh. Just pick it up I'll, from I'll Discover pick, Those Cars and I'll cut I'll, it I'll pick that up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So in 2015, the Adelaide 500 basically discovered those cars. They brought them out for the first time and they became this cult sensation and then all the stuff went down with cams and the Robbie Gordon stuff in Darwin and then there was safety stuff and, and as a result, they're not coming back to Australia and I highly doubt that they'll ever be back based on some of the stuff that's been going on. But... Oh, they just added such an entertainment factor to the program. 
Um, that the promoter, to their credit, has worked pretty hard to uh, add different elements to the on-track program. And this year, there'll be four Formula One cars cutting laps, which are all Adelaide Grand Prix era cars, which is terrific. And yeah, we've seen that being successful at the Adelaide Motorsport yep. Festival every year. So that's great. Um, Carrera Cup's going to be brilliant. It's just a, a mega field with some great new names coming into it. TCM's looking really strong. Roel Harris, Super Ute champion, joins that category for the first time for a full season campaign and there's some new cars. But I mean, the big the big question for mine is what happens in the main game and and who's going to be on top after a really unpredictable off-season, a lot of driver changes. Um, and the million-dollar question is how fast will those Ford Mustangs be um, going into this weekend? Because that's that's a huge question mark. Will they be as good as the ZB Commodore was when it debuted 12 months ago and, and rolled everybody as Shane Van Gisbergen continued his amazing run of form on the Adelaide Straits. And you're absolutely right. We've lost some drivers. We've gained some drivers. Uh, it's going to be a good-looking field when they head out there. But at the end of the day, there's only going to be a couple of things that I think everyone is going to be really wondering about when they first hit the track. How good are the Mustangs going to be? How competitive are they going to be? And are we going to have pretty much the same of what we've had the last couple of years where there's a handful of drivers who have been super competitive and the rest of the guys are doing a lot of chasing? Well, the big, the big one for mine is, and, and there's a couple of question marks, and, and the one that to show the Mustangs being successful, they need more than just Scott McLaughlin being at the front of the field. Correct. So Shell V-Power Racing need Fabian Coulthard to be at the front, and we've heard in length about the difficulties he had in driving the Falcon at the very end. They had to drive the thing on such the ragged edge that it suited Scotty style, but not Fabian's. And, you know, you're half a percent off in supercars and you're 15th. Having said that, though, Crowley, he, he has said in the last couple of weeks, and I think in our interview that we had with him uh, on mm. the grid a couple of weeks ago, that he believes the uh, the, the downforce that's going to be generated by that wing Correct. on the back of the Mustang is going to suit him so well. Well, that's exactly right. and But that's going to be one of the big questions. Will, will that work for Fabian in race conditions? Will Tickford Racing get their stuff together? They had a shocking year last season. Yeah. And you and I talked at length about their performance or lack thereof at times. And we were fairly merciless about it at times, which is probably deserved. And they'd be their own hardest critics. And, and you know, that great result from Chaz on the Gold Coast aside, it was a shocking year. So they need to get their you-know-what together for this weekend. It's huge for them. Um, and the other one for mine that is just going to be worth following is where are Erebus at and can they continue to develop their program into being a consistent week-in, week-out contender? Davey was amazing last season. Anton De Pasquale, who just won the Peter Brock medal at the CAMS Awards the night, by the way, which is a, a terrific achievement. Um, Dave was great last year, but they still had a little bit of inconsistency. They didn't nail it every weekend. So for mine, one of the big storylines would be seeing where they continue to develop to. And if they can hit it at every round, then David Reynolds has to be considered a championship contender. No doubt. No doubt at all. Mark Winterbottom, of course, has uh, crossed the across the side from Ford into Holden territory. He races a triple eight uh, built Holden, which uh, has some uh, pedigree behind it. Does that give him mm. a, a massive advantage for 2019? Oh, well, he's in the best machinery, we think, at this point. Based at the end of last season, probably it's the better car to have. Um, but he goes from being in a multi-car team to being in a single-car team, admittedly, with support from T8, which is always a bonus. Yeah, the, the flip side of that is 
is what's going on at Tickford and Holdsworth jumping over there and all of a sudden finding himself in a team with multiple cars and all of a sudden data to to mine on. And Will Davison's probably the same with, with 23 red now, basically part of Tickford Racing. So that's that's the big question. Will the data supply from T8 head the way down to the Irwin Racing team and will that work for Mark Winterbottom? But I think for Frosty, more than anything, it's just a it'll be a nice reset, won't it? A control of mm. delete on his career and start from scratch in a, a new environment and breathe some life into his career, which, and, and this is another thing we've talked about the last couple of years is that he's been smoked by his teammates for the last two seasons, uh, if not more. So he needs to perform and needs to go well for his own career. And we all know he's good enough. So yeah, that, that's another cool story. But the, the field's filled with storylines like that, isn't it? Like, yeah. Can Nissan take a step forward? Will Rick Kelly be a force at more rounds? Will Andre Heimgartner show more of the sparkle that we saw at a couple of rounds last year? Where's Simona at in year three? Um, the the Triple Eight interteam battle is going to be great, isn't it? Who's in front? Winkup or Van Gisbergen? I mean, that that's got all the potential to be very very cool between those two alone. So there's there's great storylines as always, but there's just so many more variables this year that make it uh, pretty spicy. Yeah, it certainly does. It's uh, going to be interesting viewing. There's no doubt about it uh, from Thursday. Uh, we get all the action on the track and then we go into a, a big weekend of motor racing, especially for the supercars. Heat Who is going to be a massive... Oh, sorry, I was going to say sorry, just before I'm we go into predictions. Heat's yeah. going to be a massive factor, isn't it, Crowley? It's the first round of the yep. year. This is uh, This is like turning the clock back 10 years, I reckon. Yeah, we haven't had a, a scorching, scorching hot Adelaide 500 for a couple of years. Um, yeah, late summer heatwave coming this year, and it's going to be 40 degrees on Friday and Saturday, which means in the cars it'll be 60 plus. Um, it, it means the heat policy will be enacted, so they'll have to run a cool suit, which they'll do anyway, the driver cooling stuff. It's, that's going to be an enormous part of it. Um, but those early days of the Adelaide 500 where you saw drivers being pulled from cars in agony because they were so dehydrated, I reckon the sport's changed so much in that intervening 15 or 20 years that the level of fitness on average across the board is so much higher now than it was. And um, I think the level of preparation amongst drivers, but also the teams and the technologies they use now to keep their drivers cool is hugely, uh, hugely improved. So mm. I doubt we'll see any of those dramas, but it, it'll be a role and, um, I mean, Bathurst last year wasn't exactly scorching hot on Sunday, wasn't it? Yet David Reynolds yeah. had, had body-related issues that ultimately cost him the race. So who knows? It, it may play a role. It certainly may. Uh, were we going to go into predictions, were we? Yeah, I, I wanted to get your thoughts first. Okay. Uh, and just to see where you think it's at and and if you're going to be cliched or if you're going to throw some different names up there. Well, I, I can't go with a Mustang win. Really? Yeah, I, I just can't. Not in, not in their first race. So look, and it probably will end up happening. I have no Does doubt. Did. Sorry, New Commodore did. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, yeah, I wasn't going to go for that. Now you're making me think. Uh, no, no. Triple Triple Eight Triple Eight had some uh, issues. They needed to resolve out of Phillip Island. It's probably been yep. plenty of time for that. And they go to Adelaide with so much data that you know whatever issues they may have had. Would be uh, yep. will be overshadowed. So you think definitely the Triple Eight cars are going to be right up there. Uh, look, I can't see anyone from Gary Rogers Motorsport, Brad Jones Racing, uh, all those one car teams, the lesser like teams. I can't see getting up. I think Chaz Mostert is going to be competitive as well in his Mustang. Okay. Uh, I, I think he's going to really relish carrying 
what I consider him to be the number one driver at uh, Tickford Racing now. Would that be definitely. correct? Yep, yep, definitely. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I can't see the boys, James Courtney or Scotty Pye, really. Having said that, though, they are very, very good on street tracks. They've always had a good track record, haven't always they? Have. And yeah, they just, but they've been making incremental process. I was going to throw them into that mix of storylines yeah. this year, but there's so many of them, I ran out of time. But yeah, charting Walkinshaw's ambitions will be good. And if they can start the year well, like they have in the past, but continue that, then that's going to be important. Can I, can I give you a top three, but not in any order? This is, <laughs> yeah. this is a box trifecta for, <laughs> for the weekend. Uh, right. uh, look, Jamie Winkup not winning a championship last year or even yep. coming second will be killing his guts so badly that he will yep. do everything in his power to make sure that that changes this year because yep. he doesn't like not being up the top. So definitely put Winkup in your top three. I think yep. we def- I think you've got to put McLaughlin in there. I'm not sure if they'll win, but I think they're going to yep. be extremely competitive, the Mustang, from what we saw at Phillip Island. You don't do that. You don't have seven cars in the top ten in the first test and the only test of the year and not come out competitive in race one. It just, yep. It's just not likely going to happen. So put those two in, and based on the fact that they are such a good street race team and he is such a good street race driver, James Courtney probably makes up my third spot. Okay, okay. I like it. I like it. Well, that's good. You, you Two of the three of yours are different to the ones I picked. Okay. So those of you listening to on the grid powered by the racetalk.com will have a selection of drivers to talk to. So I've, I've got Scotty in my trifecta as well. Uh, I, I just think that that team is in such good nick at the moment and new car or not, um, that I can't see the new car, even without much development or a season of racing, I can't see it being a step backwards from where they finished last year. At the very least, it's going to be where they were. Yeah. Um, so I see them as being good. And to be honest, I, I had Scotty as winning the weekend. So okay. I'll roll with I'll roll with that. Um, I had Reynolds in the top three. So I'll put him second um, because I, I really want him to be a title contender this year because if he is, it's going to be a hilarious ride for us watching it. Yes. Uh, I didn't and, even think of Dave Reynolds. I, oh, yeah. And no, no, you can't change it now. It's too late. Can I go for a pick uh, and, four instead? No, no. Uh, and my third one, just based on prior form at this circuit, he's won the last four races straight there. He's Shane Van Gisbergen. He, for whatever reason, just goes to another yeah. level on the streets of Adelaide. So um, it, look, I've got him as third, but it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all if he smokes them again and wins both races and goes six on the trot there. So that's my three. I, I've just got so much faith in what the Penske DJR organisation achieved last year and the way that Scotty's driving, he's a driver at the absolute peak of his powers, both mentally, physically, and as a from a talent perspective. So I, I reckon he's going to be very, very difficult to beat. And if the Mustang's anywhere half as good as they think it is and we think it is, then uh, it's going to be a tough ask for everyone else. Can I just say, can I just say, this is, and I've thought about this a little bit over the last couple of weeks, the ridiculous situation we have here, and, and you might think that I'm totally out of line in this. You are forced, or you're not forced, but you build a brand new car for the category in the Mustang. Okay, mm-hmm. so and I know that a lot of the stuff in the car is the same as what was in the Falcon last year. 
just you yeah. know a lot of there's also a lot of stuff that has changed as well but effectively outside the car not so much yeah. i cannot believe that all you're given to actually prove whether this car is good or bad on the track is a 60 kilometer shakedown and one test day at phillip island well, to be fair, they have the option of using some other test days. Like they've they've got a they've got an allocation. What is it? Three test days a year. But we're talking so about if, we're talking about a brand new car. Yeah, but there, they're, should they're there the be world. some compensation, some sort of? No. Why? Okay. Why? What what it does is it proves that the technical regulations work because this will be. We're assuming that they're going to unload and be real fast, which we think they will be. Mm. This will be the second straight year that we've had a brand new car come into the category and go bang and be on the pace because the ZB Commodore was exactly the same scenario. That was a fundamental change for Holden after a long time and it was immediately competitive. The drivers didn't like it very much early in the season until they got the car tuned up, but it was still fast. Are they allowed to throw these things on a dyno? Well, they can throw their engines on dyno, yeah. yeah. Okay. But but you've got to remember underneath the bodywork, the the cars the same. Similar. Yeah. I, I, to be honest, I, I think the biggest the biggest challenge isn't the aero. And the supercars parity performance system that they use is now so well proven and it's bloody good in that you can rock up at any racetrack and have the now three competing manufacturers or different body shapes, or whatever they might be these days, um, within two tenths of a second of each other. I, that's a massive tick for mine about the aero parity of the category. Like, it just it works. It's proven. Can- and the oldest car in the field last year won the won the championship. The thing for me this year is the springs. Well, and, and I was going to say that, and that's what I, that's the only reason I didn't go for Van Gisbergen, because I think oh. he's the driver that's going to suffer the most out of it just due to his racing style. Yeah, possibly, but I just got Triple A to the best team, irrespective of what Penske achieved last year. Over a sustained period, Triple A to the best team in the sport. And they'll get on top of it. I'm sure they'll get on top of it. It might just peg them back a little bit, but I'm just, it's impossible to not factor them into the results mm. given what they've done. For the sport, if we roll up on Sunday and the Triple Eight cars are 18th and 19th on the grid, <laughs> then we're all going to be going, oh, this is, this is exciting, isn't it? But, um, and very quickly deleting this episode. Well, correct. Yes. But <laughs> no, but that, but that's the beauty of the sport. We can we can predict until the cows come home, but we've got no idea exactly. until they get on track with quality on Friday night. So, yeah, the, the springs for mine are the big one. Look, to go back to your point, they can use their test days however they want, um, but I guarantee you that, that once they validated that the aero stuff was performing as they expected and they got the characteristics of how the car behaves, this is the Mustang compared to the Falcon, um, all that team was worrying about was their springs and how they set the car up compared to last year. Um, I don't think there's any concerns over the aerodynamic performance and behaviour of the car for that team. All right, buddy. We've pretty much covered off on all that. There's so much more to talk about, but we'll do that another time. Of course, uh, F1 have had their uh, their uh, test days as well, and there's been some interesting things happen there. Uh, yeah, look forward to wrapping it all up next week and uh, and talking about some other stuff as well. It's big. It's going to be big. It's going to be a great season. And thanks to the Red Hot Chili Peppers, there's going to be 92,000 people there on Sunday. Um, that means we should get a seat in the restaurant. Possibly. Yeah. And anyone who bangs on that this sport is dying and it's um, on its way out and rah, 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 it's all rubbish. Absolute rubbish. 
this is such a good way to start the season. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, and, of course, uh, no other better way than listening to this podcast on the grid, powered by theracetalk.com. Krause, thank you for your time, mate. I'll catch you uh, in a day or so up there in Adelaide. I've uh, arranged for you to be allowed to come into the state, so uh, they should let you in at the airport. Marvellous. Thank you for that. No, you're welcome. That's what I do as <laughs> mayor. All right, bud. Talk soon. Cheers. See you, mate. Richard Crowell joining us here on The Grid. That's the word because you know you can't touch this. You can't touch this. Break it down. And joining us to talk everything two wheels, of course, is our great mate Mark Brax. Braxy, what a fantastic weekend of World Superbikes down at Phillip Island on the weekend. G'day to you. How are you, matey? Yes, it was. It was absolutely brilliant. The weather got shined on us magnificently. Got a bit hot, I suppose, but, uh, mate, it was just uh, astonishing. Um, it started on the Monday and Tuesday before the meeting last weekend with the testing for the World Superbikes and Super Sport Boys over two days um, with a couple of sessions, long sessions each day. And... Uh, yeah, they were also featured the first round of the Australian Superbike Championships, which is and support categories as well as Super Sports and Super Sport 300s, and they were uh, just as uh, enthralling, probably a bit more enthralling as far as race action, drama, and uh, controversy is concerned. Uh, no doubt, no doubt about it. Uh, there is some uh, some good stories to come out of the weekend, and I think one of the better stories. Is and we spoke about how good he was going to go this year. Well, he's put up his hand, Alvario Batista, and said, "Hey, I'm here." And Johnny Ray, if you want to win this championship, you're going to have to get past me. Yeah, well, he's done that from the outset, from the testing where he dominated, dominated most of the weekend. Obviously, the two wins um, in dominant fashion. Um, the first win was the biggest margin in uh, dry race at Phillip Island. Uh, over uh, just under 15 seconds uh, in 22 laps. And the second race he won by uh, over 12 seconds uh, from Johnny Ray in second spot in both races. Um, It was, yeah, very clinical in the extreme, that's for sure. Um, And his uh, precisions in his lap times too, um, Shebex, was just astonishing. Um, He's... uh, all within what I'm doing a yard for a website, and uh, out of 18 laps in uh, a, total, a total of 18 laps in the first race, his uh, difference in lap times was about 0.7 of a second. Wow! Yeah, Jeez. Uh, um, <laughs> he's astonishing. He's, I reckon, he could be the first alien in world superbikes. His <laughs> metronome uh, tactics were just insane. I'll tell you what was also interesting, Braxy, you're talking about closeness of racing and the, and the like and, and times. That final race where we've seen some lap changes and we've seen some lead changes in races before at Phillip Island, but that was just enthralling and amazing. And it wasn't just lap changes and lead changes, but it was record time changes as well. Oh, are you talking about the um, – because in both races, John um, Bautista just cleared out from yeah. them. Um, you know, like the in the second race, he did a similar thing with 18, you know, with the lap times within tenths of a second of each other. Um, just on the lap record, um, which is unnor- usually um, unheard of in the second race of the day. But um, in the 
new race they brought in, the Super Pole Sprint Race over 10 laps for the uh, decide the group positions for the race two on Sunday afternoon. The Super Pole's run on the sprint is run on the Sunday morning. Um, I was actually 12 o'clock when it was run a couple of hours before. Uh, 10 lap sprint race. Uh, Bautista won that by 10 seconds yeah. for Johnny Ray. And in the process, in those 10 laps, the lap record, the ex- the, well, the previous lap record that was set by Marco Melandri last year um, in race two, unusually, was broken a total of 17 times by five riders. Yeah, there you go. So, um, and not only better, uh, Johnny Ray's got some consolation in that. He got the, the lap record eventually and also got the fastest ever qualifying lap, the best ever lap to get him to the low 29s. But, um, yeah, to do the times they did, they beat the lap record by nearly eight-tenths of a second in the end. Braxy, who are the, uh, who are the big winners and the big losers out of the weekend? Uh, big winners is uh, Bautista and Ducati, even though it's getting a lot of controversy with being an unfair advantage for the fact that it's basically a MotoGP spec road bike, road legal road bike, and the power that it's making. But then they'll have a look at the limit, the rev limits on that. Another big winner is Tom Sykes on the BMW Motorrad, the, their re-entry into the World Superbike paddock. Um, He's got a spring in his step. He's back to his old, usual, jovially self, Tom Sykes, not only because he's back being the number one rider, but he's got a lot of personal issues behind him after the breakdown of his marriage in the last couple of years, mm. which, which was having – his admitted was having an effect with, him, with his racing and stuff. Uh, it's good to see him out there, out there, back there with it, with that BMW there determined to make it a winner. The new heads of Motorrad and the Motorrad Superbike team uh, they had a bit of a launch there on Saturday night of the new bike introducing a team for the year and the bosses are out from Germany. And they're uh, very emphatic that they're there to win the championship and not just make up the numbers. So, And they started off well because the project only started in May last year. They only got the bikes just before Christmas. So they've had a bit of testing, but then they've come out. And regularly in the top ten, knocking on the top five, and uh, as the... the Sean Muir, the team manager, and Sykesy, and for that matter, Marcus Reiterberger, the young German guy that's in the team, for what they've got and how far they've come, um, they're very, very excited about the rest of the year. Also, another good thing of the weekend was the uh, introduction of the, uh, well, they call it the Satellite Yamaha team that's made up of Marco Melandri and uh, uh, um, Sandro Cortese. Mm both multiple world champions. And um, I think if it's a satellite team, it's like in the closest orbit you'd ever know because um, they were separated by well, they share everything. Everything's the same. And that was uh, pointed out to me by one of the mechanics pointing up to me saying, see that cable there? That's 40 metres long and that goes down to the number one team and we that's sharing it all. Whatever they find goes from either side of the boxes and uh, – I think that's going to be good because Melandri and Cortese really gave it to Marco. Uh, sorry to Michael Vandermark and Alex Lowe's oh, who have been the official uh, factory team. Well, you can't get it any closer than that. There was only 0.8 of a second between the three of them in that final race. Yeah, oh, you're dropping out there a bit. Oh, sorry, you? Braxy, I was just going to say, you can't get any closer than between those three Yamahas. There was 0.8 of a second between Vandermark, Lowe's and Melandri in that final race. 
Yeah, so it's all good. And Melandry, uh, he qualified averagely, but he uh, battled through to get under third on the podium in the first race. Ron, uh, Leon has them crashed out by a self-inflicted mistake, just out breaking himself going into uh, turn four on about lap number nine. Uh, but, yeah, he fought his way through from a mediocre start. Like, the level of competition's good, but it's just in a way that it was boring that um, Alvaro cleared out. But for people that are enthusiasts, these lap times and his precision on track and being the first time on Pirelli tyres, considering the lack of experience mm. he had on his tyre management and lap times and everything, man, it was just, you got to shake your head. And, it, you know, the next two tracks they go to is... Um, uh, Burringham and Thailand uh, with 800 metres straight and uh, Aragon. And uh, last year, like last year at Phillip Island, Bautista uh, finished fourth in the Grand Prix here on the factory Ducati. Uh, in Thailand, he finished in sixth place. Oh, sorry, in eighth place. Uh, that made up of uh, 12 top 10 finishes he had in MotoGP last year. So, he knows how to ride, and I'm wondering if this is a sideways step by Dorna and Ducati to breathe some life into the championship and obviously give Johnny Ray a run for his money, but with the added uh, promise that if you do well well here, we'll take you back into the MotoGP paddock and you're going to have another crap. be interesting to see how that pans out for him. As you mentioned, they're off to Thailand for the next one. Australian Superbikes also had their... Uh First round for 2019, and Aiden Wagner, what a, uh, a surprise for him. Not a surprise at all to me, mate. No? Okay. Um, no, I've known, for, known him for a few years. I've known him for a lot of years, actually, seen him come through the ranks of the 600 Super Sport ranks. Uh, then I actually helped him get a ride in the Moto 2 team through my contacts in the old Mark VDS team and Mark Bartolini and uh, Ian Wheeler. And then from there, he got offered rides in the Supersports World Championship. That didn't go to plan. He suffered some injuries, been in bad teams. Uh, he's had a uh, best part of eight or 18 months and two years off recovering from his injuries, getting back on a motocross bike and determined at one time to get back on a road bike. Uh, a couple of years ago, he raced in uh, Sydney, Eastern Creek in the Australasian Formula Extreme Series on a team, factory team Honda and promptly came out, won the first race and broke the lap record on his first ride on a superbike. So uh, he's certainly got some pedigree there and he doesn't take any prisoners. He's not there to make friends. And uh, whereas uh, Bautista might have been uh, not a breath of fresh air in the world superbikes with a cyclone, <laughs> I think what Aidan Wagner did on the weekend was drop a bomb. He strafed them during the test a couple of weeks ago and then came uh, back and dropped a couple of big 500-pounders on the uh, Aussie Superbike field because he's really set a cat among the pigeons, particularly after uh, race two on Saturday afternoon when him and Wayne Maxwell, the 2013 Aussie champion, who's back on a Suzuki, which incidentally won the championship on after a few years with Yamaha, they had a coming together on the last lap on the last corner. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a – well – even my co-commentator, Dave Johnson, who's got some success at the Isle of Man, we were at odds. He didn't think um, – he thought um, Wayne uh, Wagner was at fault because he went for something that wasn't there. And I sort of think there was a gap there, blah, 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 and whatever happened, it was deemed a racing incident. But uh, Wagner clipped uh, uh, Wayne Maxwell's left arm and basically dragged him off the bike as um, Wayne Maxwell cut into the apex of the corner. So uh, – 
both Rod and uh, Wagner stayed on to win the race. Um, uh, Maxwell went tumbling into the kitty litter. Thankfully, we were able to get up and walk away and walk back to the pits. But it has certainly uh, raised the ante. Um, yeah. A bit of our other setback there too was Troy Bayless. He had a big accident in qualifying and chipped a little finger. Ah. And then in the first race on uh, Saturday morning, uh, in a battle for the lead with uh, Aidan Wagner and Wayne Maxwell, just tagged the back of Maxwell's bike at uh, 260 k's an hour going into turn one and uh, clipped the front brake and that locked it up and he went skittling into the weeds as well and actually uh, tore a tendon in his uh, right um, finger, in his right ring finger. Hmm. So he was out for the weekend, a um, couple of wrecked bikes there, which was unfortunate for him because he would have been right in the mix as well. But uh, the likes of Brian Starr, he had a new lap record set in the Aussie Superbikes on Sunday morning with Mike Jones lowering the lap record to get into the 31s for the first time in history. Cheers. So that, uh, great for a privateer to do, and that just shows you the closeness and competitiveness of their championship when a privateer like Aidan Wagner can come in and uh, win two of the three races. And also a kid like Mike Jones, who's also won, he won the 2015 Aussie Championship, can come out and in his battle for fourth position uh, break with Brian Starring on another Kawasaki, break the lap record. So um, this year in the Aussie Superbikes is going to be astronomically good. Yeah, no doubt about that. And the Aussie Superbikes head to Wakefield Park in Goulburn for uh, the second round of the championship, March 22nd. To twenty fourth, uh, be plenty of uh, MotoGP testing uh, happening over the last few days, Brax. So we might talk about that next week as uh, we look into uh, the MotoGP season as well, and uh, let that all sort of play yeah. out over the next couple of days. Yeah, well, I had their final uh, three day test over in the last couple of days um, over at Qatar in preparation for the opening round. I think that's in the eleventh uh, or twelfth of uh, yeah. March, just before the Aussie Superbikes. Uh, but that was interesting. Over the uh, three days, uh, Maverick Vignali's topped the sheets on the um, on the uh, Monster Energy Yamaha. Uh, Fabian Quattararo on the new Petronas Yamaha was second. Alex Rins was third. Mark Marquez was fourth. Valentino Rossi fifth. And uh, Jorge Lorenzo uh, sixth. And the top ten, which was rounded out by... Um, Daniello Petrucci only separated by 0.6 of a second and the top 20 only separated by a second. Jack Miller's, so, Jack Miller's texting, mate. How'd he go? Jack Miller, uh, he's got um, not too bad, actually. He finished in 11th position. Okay. He's only 0.43 off the pace, just behind Petrucci, both on the Hondas. And he was in front of his teammates, so that's good to see. But, yeah, Franco Morbidelli on the second of the Patronuses. He was in seventh. And uh, good to see the uh, KDM boys up there in eighth position with Paul Espargaro. So it's going to be a nice tight season for the start of that championship as well. I just get excited when I see an Aussie on a Ducati. Yeah, it's going to be a great season mm. all around there. Let's hope so. Braxy, always great to catch up with you. Fantastic weekend last weekend at Phillip Island. Glad you got to enjoy it, mate. You can't go without saying that uh, in the super sport category we oh, had... Of course. Uh, yeah, young Tommy Taparis, the wild card, uh, claimed 11th spot and as such he's been snapped up by a team to contest the German championships as well. 
Uh, he blitzed them in the Aussie Super Sport field. Uh, basically, going to do a similar thing to what Drew Halliday did to him last year. I think it was what Tommy will do this year. Uh, but some good good standouts there in different um, different places. Um, young Nick Limington, he's come back and uh, he's a young 16 year old, that's uh, 17 year old now. Actually, he's uh, suffered with testicular cancer mm. last year and uh, major major life threatening. Uh, illness for him, but he's managed to overcome that. And uh, he's actually proving now that you don't have to have two balls to go racing, as they say. Yeah. I don't know, I used to say the motor, motor racing is the only sport you need two balls. Or, well, or one big one. Yeah. <laughs> and we should also mention too before we go, we didn't mention it earlier on, Troy Herfoss on the Superbikes had a pretty uh, uh, disastrous weekend, didn't he? Yeah, I suppose that's been pretty kind. They yeah. got the delivery of uh, the World Threat Superbike at the late stage and just couldn't develop it. It was completely different, uh, different chassis, different forks, yeah. all the adjustments you can make with the offsets and geometry and all the rest of it and just not uh, in the running for it. And very much a lack of uh, uh, preparation, which I think uh, Chor was a little bit embarrassed about because he was lapping slower on a World Super Sport super bike spec machine by some two or three seconds than he was on his Australian spec machine. Jeez. And it just really fit in for the weekend, you know, I feel and I even interviewed him on the grid and said, We know you're not down, you know, you're not this is not your place to be. Um, but you're better this and he was quite humble about it. He said, Well this weekend I'm just not up we're not yeah. just not up to the task about it and this is where we deserve to be and I went, Well, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Well, yeah, he's not wrong in that regard. Braxy, I'll sign off again. Thanks for joining us, mate. Really do appreciate it. And uh we'll talk to you in the next week or two as we uh head up towards the first Moto G P round for two thousand and nineteen. No worries, mate. Look forward to it as always. Mark Brax joining us here on the grid. <laughs> Well, that wraps up another episode of On The Grid for another week. We're off to Adelaide for what promises to be a fantastic start to the 2019 Virgin Australian Supercar season. We might even bring you a couple of uh, podcasts from Adelaide as we have a look at the action and how it all pans out. But otherwise, we guarantee there will be another episode of On The Grid on Monday, wrapping up what is going to be a massive weekend. We'll catch you then on The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com, right here on mypodcasthouse.com.